0: what's up man hey man how are you doing good how about you doing well doing well thanks for coming on
1: no problem thanks for having me
0: yeah yeah well it's uh, it's nice to finally uh you know virtually meet you i guess uh, yeah Is how i've been trying to describe it been have uh, been talking with people. Uh, I mean, I have a studio here. I had people in from my state, which is Arkansas, but I talked to people from all, all over. I had a guy from um, the UK on the other day, so it's been a lot of virtual meetings.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things that's been, uh, one of the positive outcomes of all this has been people are figuring out how to connect digitally more, and we've had a lot more conversations going on, like. I mean, before this, a lot of people didn't know what Zoom was. Now I feel like we all are on it.
0: Yeah. You know, like what happened to Skype? You, yeah. Like, yeah. That came that. and went.
1: Um, I can't remember the last time I Skyped. I feel like Instagram and Facebook killed Skype. And then for some reason, Zoom came in and got them all. I feel but, like Google's, yeah. got, Google's got a target on, on Zoom though with... Uh, that google meeting
0: oh yeah that's a good one
1: too but this is good because you can record it and it does it
0: does well it's and it's gotten a little better i feel like over the last few weeks yeah it's had to because so many people
1: are on it but also the massive volume they had in the beginning they had to upgrade their servers and all that stuff but now the volume it's decreased a little bit so now we got the benefit of the upgrade and less volume so yeah it's better service
0: yeah excellent Well, man, I started, so, you know, along the same line of conversation, I started following you on social media. At some point we became friends on Facebook. I don't remember I don't know. how or I don't, through who. Yeah. But you were always posting uh, the the most motivational stuff. And I was like, I, I remember one time just sending you a message and I was like, hey, I don't know you, but you post great stuff. Thank you. <laughs> you know, but then- yeah, my, it, my wife you know, makes fun. My, my wife
1: uh she'll be on the treadmill and she's going through facebook she's oh i like that she's like damn it it was my husband again ah. <laughs> she's like he got me again oh, and so man. i've always catched her with my post
0: yeah man but they in you know then i started kind of noticing i'm the you know you run an academy you coach you got successful fighters and, and all sorts of organizations and you're doing like great stuff to go along with just posting motivational things on facebook which is what yeah. i talk about
1: yeah so um, i started a project uh we're probably like three years ago where i just wanted to see what would happen if i posted positive stuff every 15 minutes for 24 hours a day and see if my following would change and it was this wild thing. I did it for a year and a half and I stopped it about three years ago. And my followers, I, I'm close to maxing out the people that can follow me on Facebook because, and I literally was hand typing them. Like I would go on a spreadsheet and I just typed out random quotes, just thinking in my head, like positive stuff, motivation, whatever, just stuff. And I'm getting it out, 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 out. And I was just pounding it out. And uh, so I used a spreadsheet, I uploaded it through uh, Hootsuite and yeah, so I yeah, set it up for automatic and I was doing a couple days at a time. So I would sit there and I would just think about the philosophy I believe in and what I coach and teach and whatever. And, and I was just doing that and it became this exercise. And then I, I, I felt like I kind of ran its course with that and then I just got into the habit of, you know constantly reposting positive stuff i run into you know so whenever i'm on on my phone online whatever if i see something that resonates i i just i put it out there because in today's times in particular where there's just so much negative garbage i've made a point i don't want to talk politics i don't want to talk religion i just want to talk about human performance relationships outside of the religion and politics zone and just to, you know my whole thing is how do we be a better human you know that's the whole point.
0: Yeah. Is, uh, so is that a philosophy that you feel like you picked up through training martial arts or outside of martial arts? I mean, it's
1: all connected. Uh, I think martial arts, when you do it long enough, you really do find yourself and that becomes the better human part of it. Um, being a competitor for a long time, I feel like those years, it was all about me. And then when I let that side go and I really just focused on coaching and training and I started to think about other people, there was an evolution in my understanding of how to communicate my martial arts. And then it became not just communicating it, but what's the value I want to provide with what I'm doing. You know, do I just want to create champions? Do I want to create better people? Do I want to create all of it? You know, but just over time, you just got to think it through and, just I got to a place where yeah being a better human is just the 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 simple thing. When you're done training with me at some point you move on, you don't want to train anymore, you can't, you've got another interest whatever. I just hope you look back at the time you spent with me and you feel like you're better, you're a better person for it. And it doesn't matter if you're a professional fighter, you know, doctor, lawyer, school teacher, student doesn't matter. You know, we all train together, we all do our thing, but when time's done, I just want you to look back and I want you to feel like, okay, I'm better for the time I spent there with him. Mm -hmm. It's that simple.
0: Yeah. Great, man. That's, that, that's a positive outlook for sure. I've trained, I didn't get into training martial arts until I was 19. I'm 33 now. So like it's been a a constant facet of my life for my entire adult life. And now my wife and I own an academy in uh, central Arkansas Mm -hmm. and uh, we have about 300 students. So it's, um, but it's been a constant growing process for me and I've accrued so many, uh, values derived from lessons that just from things I've encountered with people on the mats, off the mats at competitions competing. It's, it's been a wild ride, but it's definitely forged me. I would, I believe into a better person, you know?
1: Yeah. It can go. It can go multiple ways. I mean, I know a lot of people that I don't respect in the business, and I know a lot of people that I do. Uh, with leadership comes power to a degree, if you want to turn it into that. And there are some people that are were flawed getting into it, and they were never really groomed to be leaders, and they use that power for their own self-gratification. And then you've got people that take leadership as a responsibility where it's not necessarily power as much as a position. And -hmm. that position is what people are coming to to get something. My whole thing is, uh, if we don't have a mutually beneficial trade, our relationship's just not gonna work. So for me as an instructor, uh, okay, I'm gonna backtrack that real quick. So before when I was a competitor, I felt, like everybody didn't need to know I'm a fighter. I'm not just a coach. Now I get, I'm 46 years old. I haven't fought. I did my retirement fight when I was 40, but I hadn't fought a lot before that, but it's been a good six years since I've competed and people come in and they're like, Oh, you fought. Like they don't know. And I feel like, okay, you're coming to killer Bee combat sports, not to see me, Brian, Wright. Former fighter, fighter, whatever, you're coming to Killer B because the philosophy is sound. It provides a service that you want. And it's my job to fulfill your needs in a way that's right for you. And when that changes, then you'll move on. This is any service business. There's nothing, there's nothing that says you have to be a part of this. There's nothing that says once you join up, you have to do what I tell you to do forever. You know, it's it's got it's a give and take. I have to provide what it is that i provide in a way that provides value to you and then you'll pay me for that service and the relationship will go on that's why a lot of times when people talk about family and martial arts i get a little weirded out because i'm like well i don't get kicked out of my family if i stop giving my mom money i don't give my mom money to be a member of the family you know yeah like this yeah. is a business at the base like your students stop paying your business goes away and that family just went away so It's a, it's a weird balance. We have familiar relationships with our students. We have strong bonds. I have stronger bonds with most of my guys than I, than I would uh, some people that are blood to me because, you know, we've done so much together. You know, Carl Roberson is a fighter. I trained as a UFC fighter. He started off as a kid walking off the street. Now he's at the UFC, we've been together for 10 years. And you know, our bond is, is family as you can call it because of what we've done for each other. That's different. That's 10 years, give and take, mutually beneficial situation, getting beyond the money and really caring about each other as humans. But that developed over time. I can't have that with every member in the school. And, you know, we can never lose sight of the fact that, yeah, at the end of the day, this really it's a business. We have to take care of our people. If we take care of people, it'll take care of us, which gives us the ability to take care of our own families and pay the bills and all that kind of stuff. So it's a it's a weird thing. And I think it just takes time to really understand how it all fits together. Um, when I was young, I totally didn't understand any of this stuff and I screwed it up horribly for a very long time. I readily admit that. I think I was a jerk off until I was 40 and some people still think I'm a jerk off. So whatever.
0: (laughs) Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, you know, man, it's, um, yeah, yeah. That's you, you bring up a lot of great points. I kind of feel like there's some sort of, um, I've been talking with a few people about this. It's like some of those sort of uh, traits, like I see getting passed down sort of that are like cultish, right? Like 100%. They, they get passed down from, or, or, or like you mentioned with the power play versus leadership that, that getting kind of um, passed down uh, from, from one gym to another, you get like uh, associations. It, it kind of will spring up and, and it just is and, passed on
1: well you know what too so i have a lot of international experience and the one thing from traveling and going you know to the source of a lot of information is you find out that the mis, the misinterpretation of the ideas is where a lot of it comes from especially with it's very difficult to have You can't take an Eastern philosophy literally and apply it in a Western setting. And that's where a lot of the problems became. So a lot of the culture stuff came out of the the structure and the terminology that's used in a lot of the Asian arts. And people created, so you have, so like the the Japanese language, it's it's a figurative language in a lot of ways. Like, so take one punch, one kill. Masuyama made that famous with Kyokushin. He said, one punch, one kill. He didn't mean you're going to learn how to punch and kill somebody with one punch. He took that from swordsmanship, where it was one slash one kill. He took that idea that it's the same thing from Western where we say is um, shoot for the stars and hopefully you'll land on the moon. That's what he meant. He didn't mean keep punching a rock until your hand becomes a deadly weapon. Yes, your hand could become a deadly weapon. But again, the idea was not, learn how to kill people in one punch. It was take this this concept of perfection and strive for it every day. But the caveat that they don't throw in is that you're supposed to also understand you're never going to achieve it. But it doesn't mean you don't you stop trying to achieve it. That's the beauty of that. But we lose that in translation a lot of times. So you get people that haven't you know, they haven't gone deep enough into the philosophy of their art or they haven't gone deep enough into where these ideas are coming from and then they apply a Western literal translation to it. And then they create a cult around ideas that are hollow ideas. And for me, I, I came up in karate and it was, it was when I was a kid, it was like, when you became a brown belt, it was when you started to get cocky and you really started to abuse the people below you because that's what happened to you. And it's the same thing I see happening in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu circles a lot too. Yeah. So you get this cycle of violence where As a white belt, you're getting beat up and they're telling you it's good for you. You're learning a lesson, have faith, it'll all work out. No, it doesn't, it's not supposed to work that way. You're supposed to be taught. The belts are supposed to be there as a marker, not as more and more permission to beat up people below you. And that's why my thing is I got rid of belts. I got rid of that rank and structure kind of situation in my facility. And my whole thing is on an individual level if we're better each day, that's all that really matters. And we're only as fast as the slowest person. We're only as strong as the weakest person. And you've got to, instead of standing on the shoulders of the people below you, you have to reach down and pick them up. Um, so I get, every once in a while, we'll get in mat, on the mat and we're training and you'll see somebody that's got a high level of skill, someone with a lower level of skill, I put them together. People are like, well, you're telling that guy he's gotta give up his workout today. And I'm like, you know what? If he gives up a couple rounds to help that guy get better today, He's going to have a strong training partner who's going to push him tomorrow. And now all of a sudden, instead of having one guy who's better than everyone, we've got a rising tide of talent that's constantly challenging and pushing. Now all of a sudden, the entire room is better. It's not just one guy standing above. The object's not to be the best in the room. The object's to be the best, period. So we want to be able to take on all comers, not just the guys in the room with us. And that's where that's where it gets lost. And that's where you see a lot of competitive gyms, too. You know, you'll know, you get a couple of professional fighters who, you know, they beat up everybody in the room, but then they'll struggle in their own careers. And they're like, I don't understand them better than everyone else in the room. Well, your room's not that strong because you never helped it get stronger. You just beat it up.
0: Oh, man. That's so... I got to ask about spar like what's the sparring culture in your gym like?
1: I have a really sound philosophy. It's really simple. You give what you get, you get what you give. That's it. So if if you if you push me, I'm pushing back. And I also try and explain to guys that the main thing is is you have to you have to let the ego go and you have to be a man about this an adult about, I can't say this man, I have a lot of women in the gym too that that actually fight, but uh, you have to be an adult about this. Meaning if someone's really being a jerk off and pushing too hard, instead of trying to crush them, there's a time to crush them, we all know that. If you're in the gym every once in a while, there's a whooping that has to be handed out. But if you see that it's not gonna go across as a positive, sometimes you have to step back and say, yo, stop, slow it down, chill. Like take a deep breath, you can't win sparring sparring is when we try to do things it's where we go to get better it's not where we go to win the round or beat somebody we have to be challenging ourselves to be better oh my son's peeking in right in the corner i saw him yeah (laughs) so uh my boys are wreaking havoc in the background here but um yeah so my whole thing with sparring it's it's we have to remove the ego as much as possible so we can go as hard as possible without getting hurt i mean i have I have people at the highest level. I mean, I have two people in Bellator and one in the UFC right now, you know, and so I'm not talking about a philosophy that doesn't work. I mean, our philosophy works because you got to look at it like we're NASCAR. You are the car. If your car is broken down on race day and it can't go as fast as it can go because you've been abusive to it, you're not going to win the race. So we have to train day in and day out in a way that allows us to get up tomorrow, go to school, go to work or train again. Like we have to do this every day. So we have to have a professional approach to it. And the amateur looks at it as a hobby and doesn't care. You get hurt, I can't come to class, who cares? But for those of us that make a living doing this, we have to be able to do this day in and day out. So sure, do we push limits? Do we take risks? Absolutely, you have to, it's the fight game. But, you know, 80 to 90% of the time, we have to stay in a zone where, yeah, we're safe and progressive and able to get up again tomorrow and keep on forging ahead. So when we show up on fight day, you're never going to be 100% because it's con- contact sport, but you want to be as close to 100% as possible. So that's yeah. simple. And we, straight, we spar, little gloves, we go. Like, we go-go. Like, people don't like to come and spar with us a lot of times because they think we go too hard. But our injury rate is so minimal because there's a progression to it. There's levels to it. And if you're respectful of the levels, the levels mesh. And then we can go to high level, and we don't have to risk so much.
0: Is a difference in that level, like when you're in fight camp versus out fight camp? Are you guys kind of always running fight camps with as many fighters as you have right now?
1: Um, I'm I am perpetually in fight camp. I mean, I have. It's this crazy. <laughs> I'm going. I'm going to Bellator tomorrow. I've got Teed fighting on Thursday night. Uh, i'll be back on friday i literally have to get back to Rose camp friday because i gotta get back in the gym because i got carl roberson preparing for a ufc fight i can't mention dates or opponents or any of that just yet but he's in camp right now i've got deanna bennett just fought in bellator she's going to be fighting again in december so she's like pre-camp so i've got people at different different um points of their camps at all times but i always have someone with a fight coming up i'm always two weeks out from something it's just the nature of the beast in, in this game but when i say there's levels um i mean you know it like there's physical levels to this when you've been doing this a certain amount of time there's a level of understanding that allows you to operate at a higher level and then you know you got guys that start out they really don't know what they're doing and then they start to think they do but they still really don't and they're very dangerous at that point point. and then you got it where oh okay they get humbled a little bit they figure it out it's that that we're climbing the mountain and at different points guys have the ability to do different things in different ways and so that's the trick is how do you get a room full of people to respect the different levels still thinking how do i drive forward but understand the differences. so prime example uh, so i'll take somebody who's pro fighter with a lot of experience who can pretty much handle the person they're with what I try and get them to do is instead of going out there and just being themselves and hammering this poor guy say, okay, you're going with a guy who's never sparred before. What do you do? All right. I'm going to tell this guy to throw punches and I'm going to try and move my head more today. I'm not going to let this guy touch me or I'm going to use my footwork more than I would or whatever. Just say, okay, let me work on a very specific skill that allows this guy to try and get comfortable moving with somebody and I'm not gonna hurt them. Simple as that. Like if I'm, a, if I'm somebody who likes to punch, well, maybe I'm gonna try and kick more this round. If some, someone has bad head movement, well, I'll take this opportunity. Okay, I can move my head because the risk isn't that great. You know, just challenge yourself. Limit, limit what you can use and still challenge yourself. When I, when I was teaching kids' classes a lot, um, when I was younger, I was fighting. I know a lot of sparring partners. I used to do that in my kids' class. I'd literally circle them all up and I'd fight them all. And people are like, why do you have such good footwork? I was like, because I've got a dozen 10-year-olds that are super fast and crazy. And you can't tell which way they're going to go. And I basically play tag with them every day. So yeah, my footwork was really good. (laughs) You can learn from anything.
0: Yeah. Oh, man, I need to start teaching kids again.
1: Yeah, kids are a huge value because the thing with them is you have to conform to them. And that's what makes a good teacher versus a bad teacher is when you think people have to conform to you. No, no, no. Adults, maybe it's, adults are more malleable that way, but kids are kids. You have to break through to them. So you really learn how to take, like say you have concept a, and you learn how to deliver it a hundred different ways because you have to get it through to them. So you learn how to be a better communicator, which means you have to understand your art more fully. Kids are, kids are like the best test of do you know what you do or not? Because you got to be able to communicate it to them in an effective way.
0: Yeah. Man, we have a huge uh, kids program here. And uh, I, do t- I do teach kids a couple of days, but I, it's jujitsu. But mm-hmm. uh, we have striking as well. And it's um, man, my wife does a fantastic job. And we have some great assistance, but it is, um, I, for six years, I think I taught every one of the kids' classes.
1: That's, Uh, that's a grind, man.
0: It's a grind. Yeah. Those are the days.
1: Man, I did that for, I did that for 20 years, man. Not that long, 15, 15 years of, I was teaching all the kids' classes. That was, I was teaching kids' class five, six days a week. You know, I had a kid's program with 100 kids in it. Then I stopped teaching kids for a couple of years. Um, Now I've got a kid's program coming back. And it's an MMA program, so I split it up. So they get striking, they get wrestling, they get jujitsu, a little bit of everything. Actually, for their attention spans, I find it keeps it moving a little bit quicker for them, having the different skill sets to focus on. Um, There's the one side of it where you're like, am I watering it down because I'm teaching them the different things? But then the other side of it is, if you can link it all together and if you have a philosophy that makes it all make sense, meaning body mechanics stay the same throughout. If you have continuity somewhere, I find that's what keeps it together and it doesn't get too watered down and it keeps them going, keeps them motivated. So I actually uh my son, my seven year old started doing it. That was the reason it kind of got me going with kids classes again because uh it's time for me to hand it off to him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you've got, um, you've got an academy that has a lot of fighters in it, right? Uh, I would say I think, a lot. I mean, I don't have like the, a dozen largest right?
1: fight team. I mean, between averages and professionals, you're, you're looking 15, 16 people on a high level. I've got four, I've got four pros right now. Three of them are in big shows. One of them's flirting with a big show right now. So it's good. I'm not complaining at all. I have a, I have a very solid program right now.
0: Okay, so you have that. Like, what about um, like the culture in your gym with that? Versus, do you have a lot of people that train with you guys for uh, just a hobby?
1: Yeah, ninety nine point nine percent of my membership will never compete. Um, it's and it's completely fine with me. It's it's almost two different hats I wear. I have my professional coaching side, and then I would say the recreational coaching side. Um, I don't treat it recreationally. I treat it professionally. I treat, so I what's cool with us is that the pro side of it keeps us really on the cutting edge of where we need to be. You know, what's happening right now is what we're involved with in the world. So that trickles down to my members. So they feel like they're a part of something that's constantly changing and evolving and growing, which is cool. So, um, you know, uh, you can come into my class on a Tuesday night. You come into my kickboxing class on Tuesday. You'll have everything from people that have been, they're here with us for days to UFC fighters on my mat that are taking my class because the fundamentals are sound. So it's, it's, a, it's a wide range. And I, I look at it like fantasy camp to a lot of people that has a real value to it. Like you can watch UFC and then come in and train the different things that you're seeing on there. Like I had, I taught a particular arm bar the other day and um, what's your face? um oh my god uh, mackenzie, uh, no, mackenzie turn, yeah 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 Got that arm bar the other day she
0: had her foot caught I, in yeah
1: i literally taught the setup from mount where she did the where she sliced the bicep and then transitioned in the arm bar i literally taught that the day before so my dms on my instagram i had like 50 people like oh my god you showed us that yesterday i can't believe she just pulled that off i was like yeah that was pretty cool to just real time for them to have that that was just mm-hmm. one of those weird coincidences but having moments like that is always fun and it's cool. And it's what keeps people coming back because we're like, you know, we feel like we're a part of something that, that uh, is current.
0: So do you base like your class plans on that or do you have like a curriculum structure or, or what, what's your approach with that? Uh,
1: I definitely have, um, I have a curriculum, but yeah, I, obviously you have to have flexibility in terms of how you present it based on the people you have in front of you at the given time. So, uh, I have my attitude about teaching people is what I call general to specific. Um, Michelangelo said that when he would carve a sculpture, he would give them like a block of marble and he wouldn't turn that marble into a sculpture. He felt like the sculpture was in the marble and he was just chipping away the excess layers. So for me, when I look at teaching, I feel like who they need to be is there. And I'm not so much giving them stuff, as much as chipping away the layers so that they can discover it within them so i start off general and get them moving and i get their confidence up and i get them to understand you know okay this is how my body's working again this is how i shift this is how i do whatever this is up and down this is how i'm responding and it's more of a process of pulling it out instead of jamming it in do you understand does that make sense yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so that's that's so i don't have beginner class advanced class whatever we just have class so we all train the same way, but what's expected of you is different. And because again, the attitude in which I've trained everybody to to respect the new guy, like I tell everybody all the time I see a guy get frustrated with my like, dude, remember when you were him? So shut up and respect that. Be for him what you wanted that first day. And that kind of keeps us going, where again it's we're pulling people forward. So we could all work on the same skills in a given day. But the speed in which people are doing it, the level of understanding, it's varied and all over the place. Yeah. but that's okay. That's the process. I tell everybody on the first day, I'm like, "Do you feel good?" And they're like, "I'm so frustrated." I'm just like, "Good. Have you ever done anything right the first time? I sure haven't. Like, you're supposed to be an idiot today."
0: Yeah, yeah. That's I, I'd use those same kind of reminders, man. That's a that's a uh, mind blowing metaphor about the sculpture. I'm gonna steal that. Go for it, <laughs> man. Like so I have
1: this- a fight background. So I have these weird metaphors I pull out of my arts background.
0: Well next time I teach, oh, I see I, I teach uh, history um at a college nearby. So uh next time I go through Civ2 in the Renaissance, there I'll you give go. you I'll give you a nod.
1: Yeah, all right. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I I uh, there there are certain there are certain things that people say in, in times and like, you know, it just
0: Tran- I, yeah it translates.
1: I'm going to give you a weird one. All right. All right so
0: yeah.
1: uh, I was listening to Joe Rogan's podcast yesterday and he was talking to somebody about aliens. So it's not about aliens. I did, there was no like, oh, my God, I believe in aliens. I'm going to talk about. But I'm sitting here and they're talking about how there was this ship and they were talking. Then they start talking about propulsion systems and they were saying this ship couldn't be from... Our technology, because our promotion systems are reversed, basically you have a rocket that propels you and you have to have like a rocket in the front to like slow you down. So like when we have a spaceship, it has different things around it that'll push one way, push the other, where this ship, they're saying its ability to move was radiating from the center. And I was struggling with a guy to get him to understand how not to lean into his jab so much yesterday. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute his hips were off and he didn't have control and he couldn't go fast enough because he's self-propelling and then he didn't have the rock to the front to stop him. And I just got into this weird space and it like made sense. I was like, okay, I got to pull him back to the center. I got to ground him a little bit more. And so when he moves, he's got to move more from his center. He's got to use his feet more, stop and start pushing. Like it all started to make sense off of this weird thing I was listening to. So I, I, I so I, I, I was laughing. I, Told him too. I was like, I can believe where I figured your problem out, but you just got to understand that there's opportunity to understand things everywhere, and that's where there's um, a Zen saying that uh, I I really believe. It says if you have the ability to do one thing well, you now have the skills to do everything well because it's the same process, no matter what it is we're doing. It's different physical skills, but the process is the same. So yeah. like you're good at hit like so you're you're a history teacher. Yeah. The same right. skill set you use to teach history is the same skill set you use to teach jujitsu. The same skill set you used to get a teaching degree <clears> is the <same throat> skill set you use to get your rank in jujitsu. It's the same. There's no difference.
0: Yeah. I mean the methods are like I, I almost um I mean I approach them almost exactly the same way sure. as a student. You know what I'm saying? When I'm learning, it's the same. I categorize yep. it the same, I document it the same. Uh, yeah success is
1: success success it's the same thing it's just different arenas different groupings of information but it's the same process because we're humans we function a particular way we can only do things well one way you know so it's if you so what i tell a fighter i say this to every fighter you could ask them anybody there fought for me one of the last things i say to you before you walk into the ring or the cage or whatever is i say Where's the most comfortable place you do this? And they're all like, well, in the gym, of course. And I'm like, okay, so what's the difference between this cage, wherever we are in the world, and the mat which we train back home? There's none. If this guy walked into your living room and tried to push you around, you wouldn't hesitate to put him down. Why are you going to hesitate now? If the guy walked in the gym off the street and wanted to spar, would you have any hesitation locking horns with him? No. So what's the difference now? you know, it's the same, but it's all the, we allow ourselves to get caught up in, in the idea that it's different, but it's not, it's just you and another human being the same way. It's you and another human being in other scenarios. So take yourself, put yourself in the one place that you find yourself most successful and just keep repeating that process over and over and over again. You know, so that's what I'm saying. Like, even with someone like yourself, where say you're struggling at your jiu-jitsu, well, maybe you have to go and look at how you're approaching history and apply that to jujitsu and find some, some parody on it. Just apply what you're doing well in life to where you're struggling. And trust me, you won't be struggling as hard anymore.
0: I've been talking about this a lot, like just in conversation and on the podcast, like I did that. Uh, I've used that same approach with guitar, Right. Mm -hmm. So I played guitar for for, I started playing guitar when I was in junior high. I played the bass and I played in the church band. That was what I Mm -hmm. did. And then I kind of graduated to playing guitar. The last couple of years I was in high school for um, and then I played guitar after high school. So I played like for 20 years. I played the guitar. I've owned guitars. Well, then I was like, well, man, I'm going to up my game. I started taking lessons. I started, I have an app on my phone. I hired a teacher. I've taken the masterclass with Tom Morello online, right? So I'm doing, but all I did is like, I'm like, man, I love watching history documentaries. I met that Tom Morello masterclass. And then, man, there's Ken Burns masterclass about documentary filmmaking for history on there. I'm just like, yes. Yeah. You know, but it's the same method. It, It really hundred percent
1: yeah i mean that that's 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 the thing is like why do we have to act like something's different just because we saw it on tv or somebody told us it was hard one day like we can't allow other people's roadblocks to become our own if we want to do something do it and if you're struggling well, figure out how you've overcome struggle before and apply that to this. You have the ability to overcome. You proved it. You're sitting here right now. You're still breathing. You're still talking. There's no way you haven't had a struggle in your life. We all do. So just to understand how have we gotten through the greatest struggles, apply that process to everything. And again, we're going to be better off for it. And now we'll have you know, and then you'll overcome something. And if you recognize that, you respect it, get some confidence, get some more knowledge, more understanding. And, you know, we just get better and better at solving problems. Because that's all, it's all being human is, is we just go from problem to problem. And, you know, we, we, we deal with tempering ourselves. We, we have to get ourselves out of the way and actually deal with the problem.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, so speaking of that, like this is something I wanted to chat with you about, just like with struggle and problem solving is, I just like looking, just kind of following you and like reading, reading a little bit on your website and stuff um, about what you know kind of, and you mentioning your schedule here earlier, uh, you know, seems like you got a lot going on, right? I do too. Oh, like, I I do too. You know, I am engaged in a lot of different ways. This podcast, a history job, running this the gym that, that I own. But one thing that was that is always a struggle for me is like. Uh, there's a time when we went to competitions every single weekend. Right. And and now it's just such a struggle to leave town uh, because it's like running the gym is such a, a big activity in life. Even, and I have a lot of people that that are assistant instructors here and to help, but like, what are some things that that you're doing when, man, you're, you're you're burning the roads up, but you're still running a real successful program.
1: You know what, man? You know, honestly, the hardest part for me is my kids. I got a seven-year-old and a two-year-old, oh. you know, it's my kids. That's my thing. I tell everybody all the time. I say, don't ever ask me to do something. I can't come home and justify this expenditure of time to my wife. Like if I, it, like, and it's not saying that she's the boss, but I never want to come back and disrespect my family and say, yeah, I'm going to go do this frivolous thing and I'm going to put a lot of pressure on you and it's going to cost us. So the decisions I make have to be ones that we all agree are gonna be long-term beneficial situations for the family. That's my first and foremost. So by coming at it from that, that allows me to make decisions that are long-term beneficial all the way through because I value my wife and my kids more than anything. And I'm not screwing that up. I don't care if it's, if it's the biggest fight in the world, but the wrong fight for me, I'm just not going, you know? So the fights that I go to are the fights where I only work with people that I feel like we have a long-term positive situation for all of us, where we're all gonna be better off for it. It's not, this is not a mercenary money thing. The money in MMA is good. At certain levels, it's horrendous at others. I mean, I could go away for two weeks and make 500 bucks, you know, like, and then I can go away and I can make 50,000 depending upon the level of the fight it's at. But I'll take 500 bucks for a couple of years, knowing that the big one's coming. I mean, you got to invest that way. But again, that's where the importance of who you work with and how you work with them and, and, it's, it's that relationship situation again where it's like I have to work with people. It's not necessarily that I can trust them. There is a level of trust, but I have to know that I can actually do something good with them, and it's going to pay off. So if I have to go away for a week, like I'm going away because of COVID screwed everything up, usually on a fight. So T's fighting on <laughs> Thursday night. Without COVID, I would have shown up on Tuesday night late. I'd be home Friday morning. Now, because of COVID, I'm seven to 10 days every fight because I got to get tested. I have to pass the test. Then it's like, it's crazy. They bring us in. They put us in a bubble, can't do anything. So there's a lot going on. COVID's like blown the whole process apart. So yeah, like I'm going away for seven to 10 days at a clip. Jim's got to survive. My family's got to survive. Like we all have to, we have to do. But I think I've made enough good choices as of late with the people around me that it just allows all this to happen. You know the enthusiasm in the gym allows this to happen. Uh, the benefit of these fights for my family, with uh, what it does for promoting our brand, uh, solidifying our name, money that we get paid for it—it it all just works itself out. So, but again, my base, my base, and everything is—I got to be able to come home and tell my wife like this is good for us, and she has to agree with it because it's our, its its her, it's me, it's our kids. That's what matters most. I'd walk away from my gym. I say this. Um, I don't say this lightly. I'm saying this heavily. I would walk away from my gym tomorrow if my wife said it was having a negative impact on my kids or her, like, because my family's my priority. So one's yeah. my job, one's my life. It's different, you know?
0: Yeah. And that's the way
1: I look at it. So kids changed everything Four kids. I would have, I would have burned every relationship I had to win something. Now I don't really care. You know, I want to win now, not because I want to win. I want to win because I feel like it justifies the skill set and the work that my people are putting in. It's different.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So-
0: So what are, you know, you've mentioned a lot of like your, your philosophies, some mindsets, some, just like some psychology behind what you do. Like what about, uh, and even some of your sparring approaches, but like, what about some of your like, uh, training methodologies? Like what are, what are some things about your sort of your recipe that you've put together for success? Like in the gym, like when you're working with people?
1: Well, I don't have a cookie cutter method. I have a base system of work like if you're if you have nothing we're gonna start at a particular spot and move forward um for mma purposes if you're coming to me and you're saying look i've never done this before and i want to do mma i don't start on the ground i start on my feet because all fights start on the feet you know i'm in jiu-jitsu country man i'm in new jersey you know how many how many Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys are in my area? Yeah, it's sure, insane. For sure. So I'm friends with Henzo and Ricardo Almeida and stuff. And they all have like, you know, a dozen academies within, you know, 15 miles of my space. We, we have so many, New Jersey, we just so smashed population-wise and academy-wise. I mean, I'm not kidding. I probably have martial arts school-wise within 20 miles of my location, 115, 120 schools. Yeah.
0: Wow.
1: For MMA, legitimate MMA, there's only maybe a dozen of us, but in terms of like martial arts in general, it's just, but again, our population's insane too. So we have a very densely populated state. Um, I don't really care what's going on around me. That's fine. I do what I do. They do what they do. It's all good. But, uh, I have a lot of people around me that are Brazilian jiu-jitsu minded where they they always like, oh, 80% of the fights go to the ground. And I'm like, that's nice, but 100% of them start on their feet. So we're gonna start on our feet. So we start off footwork, moving with somebody, working on your strength and conditioning also, because if you don't have a strong enough engine to support the work, the work's only gonna last so long. So you've gotta be in shape. Um, you've gotta understand how to deal with adversity. So we gotta start working on like, are, are you thinking about this right? Are you mentally tough enough to keep doing this? Um, that sounds more extreme than it is, but it's really just reinforcing the idea of like, yeah, it's going to suck, but that's the process and you're going to be better for it. Um, start on the feet, then we start progressing, you know, a little bit of clinch work, then we start working on takedowns, then we start positioning, then we start submissions, and then we start the defense. And, you know, I, so we start up, work our way down. And then when you kind of got that flow, then we start working it back up again. So if you get taken down, how do you get back up? If you're on your back and you're working, how do you get off your back? How do you get on your feet? <clears throat> How do you you flow back and forth through it all? It takes a long time to get that in the beginning. So I say we're a mixed martial arts school, but before you mix the arts, you got to learn the arts. So we compartmentalize it. Start off, get your kickboxing right. Get your boxing right. Get your wrestling right. Get your jujitsu right. Then we'll start saying, okay, now you're kickboxing with takedowns. Now you're doing kickboxing with takedowns to positions. Then you're going from positions to submissions. Then sometimes we even start like, okay, we're going to start. You're on your back. This guy's on top. Now go from here. If you can get up, you can go from up. A lot of situational challenging stuff. So I constantly put people in spots where um, teach you how to maximize your skill sets. Then we take them away and say, how do you survive without without what you're most comfortable with? And it's constantly just challenging people to understand how to survive all the different ranges of what we do. So, this methodology requires—I want to say a heavy hand, but it's not. Um, I don't mean that in a negative way. Just meaning, I, you, I really have to understand you and what you need because situational drilling is only good if they're the situations that you need to be drilling. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 for sure. Like if you're good at arm bars and all you do is arm bars, what's going to happen? Like so, okay, gonna. I, I, I was talking about this last night. Um, you only start on your knees and then guys are like, literally look like dogs with a chew toy and they never really get anywhere. And they're just like, oh, I want to get my position. And it never goes anywhere. And I'm like, all right, it was a five minute round. You spend three minutes of it trying to wrestle with each other to see where it's going to start. And you didn't really start until you had about two minutes, 30 seconds left. So let's get beyond that kind of accept the fact that we're on the ground already. Let's not go to our favorite place. Let's go to wherever it is. And then look, can you get to your favorite place? So if you like arm bars, you know, from top, we'll flop to your back and say, hey, can you get to top? Because you, won't, you don't want to just be your best in the best situation. You want to be your best in every situation. So you want to be able to hit what you hit from everywhere, not just at one place. And if you don't get it, you're screwed. You know, so Mm -hmm. it's having that playful attitude where it's like, all right, let's challenge this. Let's challenge my skill set. Can I do this? Not just when I want, like not just where I'm comfortable, but from anywhere, can I make uncomfortable comfortable? That's I think the key to success in everything. Once you accept the fact that uncomfortable is actually a comfortable place where you can actually learn and challenge and figure stuff out, then you just win. Now you're a winner. Like when uncomfortable is your happy place, you're good. Because if you're avoiding it, you're not going to – you're never going to struggle, which means you're never going to be prepared for when the fight actually comes.
0: So are all your classes like this MMA-oriented? Do you have, like, a jiu-jitsu program or anything like that also?
1: So that's where I say we have to learn the arts before we mix them. So we have a kickboxing program. We have a jiu-jitsu program. We have – the wrestling and the boxing are not considered like I don't have a boxing program, but we work boxing into the kickboxing program. We work <clears> wrestling <throat> into the jujitsu program. So I have Jimmy Lawson. Jimmy Lawson was division one All-American, three-time New Jersey state champ in wrestling. Jimmy's Jimmy's a stud wrestler. He fights for me and he runs practice on Wednesday nights for me with jujitsu. He takes the last half of class and like he'll run wrestling drills for everybody on that, which is awesome to have access to that kind of experience so you know we just we touch on all the bases but we definitely have like if you only want to strike you're fine if you only want to do jujitsu, you're fine you don't have to do mma you know that's it's funny 90 percent of people come in they say they want to do mma and they end up doing kickboxing anyway <laughs> like because yeah. wrestling and groundwork is not for everybody
0: mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's i see that like we do we have a usa boxing program we have a big kickboxing uh, program, but we also like a ton. I have a, over a hundred people that do fitness kickboxing, where it's just like yeah. a heavy bag cardio workout. But then we have more a class like what you're talking about, where it's boxing combos, tie pads, clinch work, stuff like that, right? Um, and then we have some. We do gi and no gi jujutsu also through the week. Yeah,
1: I do no gi only. I don't do gi. Yeah, my guys, I send them to gi. They go to Dante Riveras.
0: Okay, nice, nice.
1: Yeah, because he's not far from me. He's like 15 minutes away from me. We consider ourselves like cousins at this point. A lot of his guys come to me for striking. A lot of my guys go to him for gi jiu-jitsu. Guys come to me from him to like, how do I link it all together? So like understanding how the different components fit is probably my greatest strength. Uh, the, The fitness kickboxing, I've tried it. I don't know why, but it never works for me. I think it's because I'm... I don't know. I think um, I don't really believe in the idea of a fitness kickboxing class in my own head. So it's hard for me to, I think, promote it. I think my disdain for it comes through, (laughs) but I feel like, so I understand the idea of fitness kickboxing in a particular way. Cause I think for all intents and purposes, my kickboxing program really is a fitness kickboxing program for the majority of the members. The difference is, is that versus me and say a cardio kickboxing program is that we have technique involved. And I think that when you focus on the technique, there's two benefits to it. One, it actually works. Two, it's safer. And then there's the third side of it is that when you have to focus on the technique, you actually physically will go harder without realizing you're going harder because you're not just focusing on the output, you're focusing on the input from the instructor and the technical output and the physical output kind of just is there sometimes. Mm -hmm. So you might throw a hundred kicks because you're not thinking about being tired. You're thinking about, am I doing it right? Where if you were just thinking about physically, okay, I have to hit it as many times as I can. You might quit at 50 because, gee, my heart rate's up, you know, because the challenge is different. When you're bringing more components in, I find that we go further and we have a greater benefit. So that's why I've tried to do like purely a fitness thing, not focus so much on the technique, but then I always come back to them. Like I can't allow punches like that in my presence without getting pissed off. So I have to like clean it up. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel you for sure. And it's, that's something like we were just talking about with our instructors the other day is like, uh, it's not a technique class, but like here are the base level things we want you to yell at them at all times. Like you know how yeah. like if you were in a boot camp, somebody would have they'd have commands for your push ups and your squats and like just something you'd learn in personal training. Like if you're coaching people, like I just kind of have those same sort of things that I want our instructors to do, like with their punches, with their kicks, with their knees, with their elbows. And it's the core things I would tell anybody doing boxing or whatever. Yeah, but it's more like straight punches don't raise your elbow you know That's just like right. yelling at people and getting them pumped up but um and the, but the
1: thing about it too is a, the just from a structural situation if somebody's throwing punches and they're flaring their elbows and stuff they're gonna have injuries over the long haul so i would rather them do it right and be physically mm. safe than just being like, ah, let me just placate them, keep them happy and keep them paying. Well, they're not going to be paying that long and they're going to hate you for the injury you gave them. So it's like safety first, guys. And that's why technique matters. When you throw a proper punch, you can hit hard repeatedly with minimal damage. A lot of these people wailing away, hitting with the wrong part of their hand, throwing funny shoulder shots, you know? I've seen people blow shoulders out, blow knees, bad necks, bad backs. And I'm like, yeah, because you're just whacking away and nobody's keeping you accountable you know you've got to be accountable that's 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 really important you got to move over to the sun start to come through yeah all right yeah, yeah so
0: it, go ahead
1: no you go ahead quickly
0: i was going to say so have you um have you ever done like an instructional or anything do you do you provide any sort of like digital resources for your students yeah
1: so i started an online training academy killerbee.online during the covet situation and uh My WordPress site I built it on has been slowly collapsing on itself. So I'm switching to another platform. The plugins are just not interacting well. And a lot of my videos, I started to struggle. I had a minute where it was good. Uh, I, I had a lot of people logging in and were doing workouts at home. I did all the basics on my striking program, how to throw proper punches, how to move your feet, slipping, moving. I did, I have a whole bunch of bag workouts up where... Uh, you can literally start the video, hop on the bag, and you literally can do a 10-round workout with me at home kind of thing. Uh, start doing strength and conditioning programs for people. I have a database of all the different strength and conditioning moves we do. So if you want to say push-up, you would click on push-up, and the video pops up, and it shows you how to do it. Like All the different motions we do, we create a database for that. Uh, we A couple instructionals on wrestling and jiu-jitsu, we're going deeper on that. So it's an evolving project. But ultimately we want to have Killer Be Online to be uh, uh, a more robust situation where we have our podcasts will go there. Cause I do a podcast with the gym too. It's called oh, the Hive. So we have the Hive podcast. Uh I write a lot, so I put my writings up there too. Um, interviews with our fighters, um, the free fights you can find online. We kind of collected them all in one space. Um some of our pro practices. So doing a lot of different things to get content out there. Um, I think it's important in today's day and age too that uh, you know we have more digital resources. One of the cool things is, is that people that signed up for Killer Be Online and plus are in the school, they'll take class and then they have questions. They'll go online and they'll look up the combo we did in class and they can get all the details, which is cool. So it's just a great resource for students, not just people that can't come to us. And then the other one, is I had this idea and I'm actually implementing it now is if you want to have someone give you another opinion, if you're a fighter with a fight coming up and you want someone to look at your opponent and to analyze, give you kind of like what you, what we feel are the cases of success for this person. We'll watch your fights. We'll watch their fights and give you a report on how we feel the matchup would be and the things you need to focus on. So we could be kind of a remote coach for you.
0: Nice. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a good service for sure. Cause I mean, game planning is, I think because of video and digital content, something that you can do much more these days. Yep. So much more. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So the more I started to play with stuff, the more I started to think about different opportunities we could have. And that's where like the remote coach came. And a lot of that too, is just, I have a ton of friends in the business and we sit around and we talk about stuff a lot and uh, most of the guys I, I'm friends with, their egos are, are not so big. So we we really are open to the idea of sharing. Like Jamie Crowder is the head instructor of Henzo Grace in New York City for their MMA team. And he'll hit me up. I mean, he's changed my life with a sentence occasionally. And he, you know, and I showed, like he came down and I was like, he was struggling during COVID, can't make a living, academy's closed. I said, come down, do a seminar with my like, guys. Let's make some money for you. So he came down, did his thing, a couple nuggets he threw out there. I was like, wow, I don't think I'm ever gonna, I'm ever gonna forget those. I think those are permanent parts of my curriculum now. And then I, I played around with him and I showed him a couple of things. And then he was like, yo, I did that thing you showed me and you know, it really worked. And I think I'm gonna use it with this guy who's fighting that guy. And I was like, okay, cool. So it's like this, the exchanging of information, it, it, it it's elevating our games and that's where a lot of it too is where i was saying with the coach side they're asking me like hey what do you think so and so is fighting so-and-so what do you think you know here's what we're doing what's your opinion and i do the same thing because if you can let go of your ego and you can open yourself up to somebody else's ideas you never know where it could go you know it might be mm-hmm. one thing or it could be an avalanche of things you could change your direction for the better you know there's always opportunity and information. We always got to keep ourselves open to that. We can't ever get to that point where we think we're too big to listen because that's when our guys start getting beat. It's hard enough to not get beat when you're doing all the right things. Mm. Forget about when you're being stupid. You know, you can't ride talent. You got to develop talent and that takes a full team of people.
0: So what are your thoughts on, um, this is something, and it varies in certain geographic areas. I think it may be less of a cultural issue in your your part of the country because of the the density of gyms, like you were saying. But cross training, like that's something that is um, uh, it's I guess you could say politicized, uh, especially in certain jujitsu circles. Like, hey, we don't cross train with that gym because they're from that association, yep. and f that association, we don't go there because like. My- you know, whatever. I deal
1: with this. I mean, it's it's awful. Um, I so I look at Killer B as home base. I don't care where you go. We go where the work is. I have at a dozen places my guys will go to get work. I have heavyweights that go to certain places because there are heavyweights. I have lightweights that go to certain places because there are lightweights. We go where the work is. If if you're 170 pounds and I don't have anyone near your weight, if I can't bring anyone in, I'm going to send you to my friend's place who has people for you to get rounds with. Uh, If you're out in the world getting better and you're bringing it back, I don't care. Uh, You're not stabbing me in the back by getting better, I'm stabbing you in the back if I'm not letting you evolve. If I'm holding you back because of loyalty, that's not loyalty, that's I'm telling you to be an obedient, subservient human being and that's not fair. My job is to make you better. So if I don't have what you need here, what you need is to go somewhere else to cross train because that's gonna make you better. And I'm doing my job by sending you there. So I've been kicked out. I can't tell you, honestly, it's scary because my philosophy, what I just said, makes me more enemies than friends. Um, I have certain gyms that don't let me go there because what I'm saying is dangerous in their mind because they feel like if their students hear that, their students are gonna feel like it's safe for them to leave and they don't want their students to go other places. And uh, it's absurd to me, It's, it's absurd. I, it's a it's a huge struggle that i have i'm like we don't own people and our responsibility is to make them their best and we have to do whatever it is we have to do to make them their best or we don't and whatever then you have to go to sleep with that shit not me Yeah, you know i i struggle with this a lot henzo's cool like henzo crazy he doesn't care he's like Hey, man, you go wherever. You come, you train, whatever. He's good. (laughs) He don't care. Like, I'm not a Henshaw guy. I have no affiliation to anybody. I'm individual. I can do whatever I want. He respects the way we train. We're allowed to go wherever we want. As long as we're cool and we don't talk bad, we have no problems. You know, um, he's game-bred, and he likes to see game-bred in people, and he respects that. The people that are political are the ones that fight over politics. You know, I'm not political. I have certain gyms I prefer people not to go with because I don't like their instructors, and I know eventually they're going to try it claim credit for things they didn't do or um, try. I mean, I have three people in my gym that have been tried. Every gym in the area has tried to recruit them. They hop in on the DMs. You'd be better with us. You know, my guys are like rolling their eyes going, come on, man. Really? You got to be grimy like that. But I got one guy in particular, no joke. If anybody pops up on a Instagram feed, if I tag them within 24 hours, they get a DM like, hey, man, you ever think of coming to check my place out? It's like... Come on, man. That's I mean, not I've it.
0: never once thought about messaging somebody to come to my gym. Oh. Wow. wow.
1: I have one coach who keeps thinking I'm recruiting his people. And I'm like, I don't recruit. People call me. People see what I'm doing with my people and they call me because they want that. And that and like, why are you gonna get mad at me because your people are calling me because you're not doing your job? Don't get mad at me because you're not doing your job. Get mad at yourself. You know, my dad told me something when I was a kid, and I'll never forget it. My dad said, When someone tells you something and you don't like it, the only time you should ever get mad at mad is if it's true. And you don't get mad at the person who said it, you get mad at yourself for allowing it to be true. You know? Wow. So, like if you're weak, someone goes, Hey man, you're weak. I'm trying to use good language today. I usually curse like a mofo, so I'm trying to be nice. But if someone says a derogatory word that says maybe you're weak or soft or whatever. Well, if you are, that's on you, not on them. They're just stating the obvious.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a great, that's another great outlook, man. Yeah, it just makes it a lot easier because accepting responsibility
1: is way easier than standing around pointing the finger all day long. I feel like as a coach, it's my job to take all the blame and give away all the the praise. You know, when my guys win, it's because they did a good job. When they lose, it's because I did the bad job. It's much easier that way because I don't want to be in an argument over who's right, who's wrong. I just want to win. I just want you to be better. And it's just like, when I take that attitude, it takes 90% of the the, the negative conversation away. You didn't do what I told you to do. I hate that. I hate that. You would have won if you listened. Well, maybe they would have listened if you communicated different. So instead of yelling at them, take responsibility for how you communicate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. um do you do you ever like uh want to i mean so you, you have people go cross train let's say one of those people's one of your top you know three to five people you have in the gym competing like so you mm-hmm. know you, your guy in the ufc or something do you typically want to be there with them while they're cross training sparring with other people or no Um
1: uh, well carl roberson goes to one place to spar that i'm not allowed the guy said i was recruiting his people even though his people were all calling me because carl tears through the room and the only reason carl goes is because there's a particular other big-name fighter there and they've been sparring together forever i'm not breaking that up i'm not going to say you can't go there because i can't go i'm like yo you got to go work with him because he needs you and you need him go get the work Uh sean teed goes down to tom the Blasses. uh i don't know it doesn't work in my schedule uh i see i see what he does when he comes back i know what he's working on. Uh, almost all my people go to get cage time over at Dante's. I go, you know, every couple of sessions, but, uh, my fighters in particular, we work every day, every day, but Sunday, 11 o'clock in the morning is pro practice and you show up five to six times a week for pro practice. I see everybody every day. So I know exactly what's going on. Like you can't come in. And if your jujitsu is not getting better, you can't tell me you're going and working with Tom, the blast three times a week. And your jujitsu is getting worse. You can't tell me you're going to Rutgers wrestling and your takedowns still suck. Uh, You know, you're just not going or you're not doing the right thing. I see what's going on. Cause if you tell me you're going to work on something, well, I'm going to test it. I'm going to make sure. So, that's the accountability side. A lot of times, here's the one thing where cross training goes wrong. It's a lazy coach. So if I just say, if I say to myself, okay, Sean's going to Tom. So the jujitsu's is good. And then I just don't look at it. That's a problem. If I say Carl's going to spar, but then I don't see him do rounds was for myself at a different point to judge where things are at, that's where it go wrong. We can never just say, okay, they're going here. So they're good. We have to let them go and do stuff, but then we have to then take that stuff and put it into our overall game. That's why me, I'm the head coach. My job is to put all the pieces together. I don't just focus on one thing and then trust everything else is okay. It's trust, but verify, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's the, the only time I feel like cross training will go funky is when we, we just don't do the work to stay on top of, is there a progression? I see that all the time. But again, I, th- I also think that almost all coaches outside of the highest levels are uh, riding talent instead of developing it. I think most people get somebody who's naturally gifted, they ride those natural gifts until they run out. And uh, when they run out, they go find another talented guy. But that's my old cynical Self speaking here, but you see it. How many times when you go to a tournament, you see a guy and you're like, "I know he can't teach himself out of a paper bag, but he always has a revolving door of talent." But they all come from something else that they were naturally gifted, and they just push that talent out on the mat enough times to do some things. And for some reason, those guys tend to top out and then disappear. We all see it. It's in every. It's in everything in every sport. To be a good coach, it's the one. It's like, oh they're here every year with the same group that's expanding and everyone's doing better. It's not just, you know, Oh, that guy's super talented. Like, you know, you have the jiu-jitsu school with the, that has a, a high school wrestling coach as a best friend. And for four years, every year, they have a certain group of guys that do well on takedowns, you know, like you have to develop that talent. And uh, there's, and, and when you're young and you start out, if you get in that cycle, it could eat you up because the success of it on the short term, you just keep repeating that short term success and you find a way to be happy on that. See, the key for me was I'm never happy. So (laughs) I just keep driving. I'm always like, i am never, I never let myself get satisfied. I'm like, all right, we need more now. We got to do more now. We got to do the next challenge. Now, what can we do now? What's now? What's now? What's now? It's never, you'll, I, I don't talk about last year. I talk about today. So like Sean Teats, Kate Shuri, heavyweight champ. Okay, so what? Now he's in Bellator. He's a freshman in high school again. You know, it's his first dance in Bellator. Okay, you had the belt. That was cool, but you're a freshman again. Let's start over. You'd be the champ in Bellator one day. Okay, what can we do next? Like, are you done? Okay. If you're done, well then I then you're done and the cycle's gonna keep going with somebody else. But like it's never over. When the challenge side of it's gone, you get complacent and this career is going to hurt you. It's a dirty business, man. This is a brutal sport. If you don't have that challenge in you, somebody's going to get hurt. Yeah. Yeah,
0: man. Last, last question, Brian, I've, man, we've, you've imparted a lot of knowledge. <laughs> I've I've talked about everything I want to talk with you about today. Honestly, like this is all the stuff I was hoping that we could get into. So no,
1: it's been fun though. I I, I enjoy these
0: conversations likewise likewise um so like on these practices um like let's say your pro practice for example mm-hmm. what's the length of that like what how do you space like uh duration of training time what do you use it, appropriate it's a minimum of an
1: hour uh usually practice ends up being about two hours because i have to do work with each person individually over that time too so the room trains as a group but i break it up so okay so say I had, today I had six people show up for practice this morning and every all six of them have fights coming up. So five people are warming up and I'm doing pad work with one guy. And then I rotate them into drills and then I pull another guy off and then I'm doing work with them. And then I pull two guys off and I'm doing work with them and everybody like, so I'm looking at my window of time with them and I say, okay, you're going to work consistently through this time but I just make sure that everybody's gets... 25, 30 minutes of, of me focusing in on them and what they specifically need to do in that time. So that's that's the that's the hardest part for me. It's like, okay, how are we gonna everybody's gotta get their work in and everybody's gotta get me time? <laughs> that's just the way it is. It's uh that's the challenge. So yeah, yeah. It, it it it's um I don't think there's a set formula to it because I think it's a fluid situation. So like teeds fighting uh, Next Thursday, fighting a guy who's finished all of his fights by submission. Um, he tends to get cracked and then he kind of figures out how to pull a takedown off and he has a particular takedown he does. So today I took Jimmy Lawson because Jimmy's takedowns are are, you know, D1 level. So put the two of them, worked with them. We did like three rounds of working. I had other people on the bag. Then I said, okay this is what I need to get across to you. Now I need you to just keep going over it. I'm going to come back to you again, make sure where we're at. Hop on the mat, did uh, three fives with Carl Roberson on the pads, hopped off to the next person, watched them on the bag, two two other people together do some drills. Then I touch base with everybody, make sure, okay, where you at? Any questions, anything we want to focus on? All right, where are you going tomorrow? Because tomorrow float day, everybody pretty much goes to different spots for wrestling or sparring and I'm traveling tomorrow. So I just had to make sure like, okay, where are you going? Uh, and then a lot of my team's coming up to Bellator with me because um, they're going to train with me in the practice room when, uh, when Teed's resting. So we just keep the machine rolling along because I get, I'm in New Jersey, we're three hours away in Connecticut. So a lot of my guys are just going to hop up to Connecticut, get some work in with me. So we stay on point through this week and come back Friday and, you know, right back to it. I'll run pro practice on Friday and just keep, keep the ball rolling. So in town, not in town, the work gets done, but when I'm in town, Yeah. Every day got to deal with everybody. Last night I did, I had to run there and late. I mean, I was on my phone last night. I had to drive, I had to drive like 45 minutes each way on something. And uh, I basically spent the whole time touch base with my wife, talked to my kids, then called literally every single fighter going over. Okay. This is where we're at this week. Um, Where are you at? How's that questions? How's that injury? How's your body? How's your mom? You know, it's, it's, it's a, It's a it's a full commitment, man, because fighting is not a physical thing as much as it is a it's a mental thing. It's human interaction. And and, uh, you got to make sure everybody's mentally prepared for the things that are coming up in their life in line. So last thing I'm going to say, I had um, I was twenty seven and I went on a tear. I don't think I lost a fight for like a year and a half at that point. I was just I was murdering people all all over the place. And uh, I had a fight and my, my, one of my better friends, and he was a coach, uh, his name is Dane DeRose. He was my judo coach and my sambo coach. Um, just really good dude, he came up to me and he goes, I gotta talk to you. And I said, what? And he goes, um, you haven't lost a fight in a long time and you know, you won some really big things and you know, you're feeling yourself right now. He goes, but if you're a loser outside of that ring, nothing you do in it's ever gonna make you a champion. And it was like this earth shattering thing because my life was a little chaotic, um, partying a little too hard, too many girls, too much liquor. Uh, You know, my off time was, was, was fun. I was 27 top of the world, making good money. School's busy cash in my pocket, driving a nice car, you know, just, just doing what a dumb 20 something year old does. But he told me that, and I was like, wow. He was like, "Look, man, he goes, I don't want you to wake up at 35 with nothing but memories of what you did when you were 27." He said, "I want you to think about, you know, what do you want at the end of this? When this is done, what do you want?" And I want you to start building that now. And that just hit me so hard. And that was prop that was, you know, I told him to F off when he said it, but the next morning I woke up and I it was like I was like that's probably the most sobering thing I've heard in a very long time, and it's never left me. And when people ask me, why do I do this? For some reason, that's the conversation that always comes back to me. So when you ask me, like, why do you do this? How do you do this? Dane's always talking in my ear, telling me, if you're a loser outside of the ring, no matter how many championships you win in it, you're still a loser. If you want to be a champ, you got to be a champ everywhere. You can't just compartmentalize that. You're either a winner or a loser. And winning is not about the winning the fights. The winning part of it is, are you on track to create that life that you see for yourself or you want for yourself through this process? Don't burn everything down for momentary glory. You know, it's gotta be, a, it's a long haul. So that that's that that was the moment that turned me from it, a meathead to a little bit more of a philosopher and how I approach this.
0: Yeah, no, that's... Um... <clears throat> Yeah, Ken, uh, a guy that I used to follow, um, Ken Promola, he's actually been on the podcast, but um, he's jujitsu white belt and wrestled at Iowa State. And it's like a, like an attorney too. So he's a a pretty smart guy, but I remember talking with him when I was in grad school and I was like, man, I'm, you know, I'm trying to win my first IBJJF medal, which I did. And, but he was like, I kind of laid my schedule out for him, running the gym, going to graduate school, getting the master's degree, relationships, trying to exercise all these things. He's like, well, sounds like you need to be the best at everything. and I was like that kind of always stuck with me because I was like man I do have a lot going on and I I do um you know it was like a theme that I was always like trying to bring something up to par is you know it was I was I was scatterbrained at the time and I was like man I just really do I need to I need to focus on making this a little better and this a little better and this Mm -hmm. a little better and this a little better and then before you know it I was winning my medal. Things are better. And I I applied that philosophy moving forward, you know?
1: Yeah, man, if you're going to make a commitment to do it, you might as well do it well. And and a a, a trick we have that we allow ourselves to fail is that we create situations where we bite off more than we can chew per se because we're trying to create an excuse for ourselves. Oh, I failed because I was doing too much. No, man, you've got to, if you're going to do it, do it all well. There's no excuse for it like you like you not winning so say you don't win the medal it's not because of the school it's not because of anything it's because you didn't win the medal it's because you didn't do it that day and you can't use anything excuse you didn't show up you didn't you didn't do it you didn't show up every day to to put the work in you know if you if you really care about things and you prioritize them you're good but you know i have a lot of things i mean i i haven't even talked about everything i got i mean i i have a i have a i have a marketing company. I have a screen printing business. I have, you know, two kids. I have a wife, I have a full school. Uh, you know, I've got my pro team. I'm traveling all the time. And I just got done with a 5,000 t-shirt project that I promised to get done for a charity in three days. And uh, you know, <laughs> is what it is. I said, okay, I'm going to do it. So I slept a couple hours, the last 72 hours, <laughs> but you know, Again, like you just said, I made a commitment to do it. I'm going to do it all well. Didn't miss a single practice. Didn't show up late. Did everything I had to do. My privates got done. My classes got taught. My pros got trained. You know, the rounds got put in and shirts got made. And my wife and my wife still still had dinner with my family last night.
0: You know, it is what it is. You you you
1: got to you got to get it done.
0: Yeah. Well, man, it's been an inspiring conversation, Brian. I, I really- been fun, man. You've been somebody that is like, I've got this big list in my phone, of podcast uh, guests, and you've been somebody that's been on it. Cause I'm like, man, I want to talk to this guy someday. And I just saw you post the other day and I was like, I'm hitting him up right now.
1: Well, so, I, you know, I hope, uh, I always, I always said like, I don't want to post differently than from who I am so I'm hoping I live up to the, the stuff that caught your attention
0: well isn't it crazy that you like that time when you were posting like three years ago or whatever you mentioned that would have been when I saw you posting and it's resulted in uh, since then I've started a podcast and it's resulted yeah. in me in Arkansas having a conversation with you in New Jersey
1: hey man it is what it is it, 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 it's like It's good. I did. Yeah. Like for me again, I just hope that whoever I, I, someone thinks I'm representing myself as I hope you understand it's not a front. This is really just me. So.
0: Oh man, I would, I would definitely, um, I would, I would say that's a fair assessment for sure. And just keep sending it out there, man. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on.
0: So. All right. We'll talk to you soon. See you. Bye. Peace.